You ready? Yep. How about you? Yep. Start it up. Welcome to episode 19.3, Band Talk, brought to you by The Big Red Band. Each week, the guys address all angles of one topic with cultural relevance. This week, they talk about their favorite college football team, the University of Tennessee Volunteers. How long have they been a team? What have been their biggest accomplishments over the years? And who's that General Nealon we've all heard of? All the answers and plenty more. Welcome to The Big Red Band. Strangers never came down on Rocky Top. Reckon they never will. Yeah, keep it going. Yeah. yeah. Hype, hype, hype. Welcome to Van Top 19.3. This is actually, believe it or not, our 50th released segment episode, however you want to call it. Oh, how cool is that? So this is 50, sweet. and I think that it's amazingly cool how it kind of worked out. Football season started, and we are going to do a Van Top focused around the history of the Tennessee Vol football program. Yeah. Yeah, I'm hype about this. This is going to be really fun. So Hayden is going to give us the timeline from the inception up to basically the Philip Fulmer era. I'm going to give us Philip Fulmer and on, and then I'll go over some stadium details and some rivalries of the Tennessee football program. Very proud of the Vols for coming back to be able to win the game and double overtime against Georgia Tech. That was amazing, that fourth quarter. Second half overall that Quentin Dormady had was, in, you know, one that you got to give him credit for. He's, I think in the first half, the stats were something along the lines of eight for 20 passing. A lot of receivers dropping the ball but then the second half 12 out of 17 170 yards two touchdowns did what he had to do in the fourth quarter a 93 yard drive four or so minutes left in the fourth quarter the kid did what he had to do big ups to Quentin Dormady now let's talk about how it got to that point Hayden first of all I just want to throw a number out there Tennessee the college was established September 10th 1794 right uh which is like literally I think basically the year before or the year of that Tennessee became a state i think they became we became a state in 96 if i'm not mistaken. that's interesting so uh just shortly after the revolution you know we're the 16th state uh shortly right after revolutionary war it was kind of cool i was doing some reading on this uh like tennessee finally during that time in history we finally were able to take a state census and had enough people that the federal government would say yeah y'all could be a state and turn into a state nice and we had a college already ready to go ready to go based literally the year of inception and then it was how long till the football program the program began in 1891 so shit almost 100 years yeah that's a long time with no football yeah it is you wouldn't be able to survive now 
It was established by Mr. Henry Dillinger, De- Dem, sorry, Denlinger from Princeton. The first game was against Suwanee on November 21st in 1891. Wow. But uh, kind of the sad thing about this is their first win didn't come a- come around until October 25th of the following year. So they went a solid uh, 11 months without a win. That's uh, not the way that you want to, you know, <laughs> drop the football program for everybody. But uh, but cool fact, that first win was against our very own Maryville College here. So you said that guy was from Princeton, so I'm sure he brought football from another from another college. Oh, yeah. Northeast. Two years later, varsity football was voted to be ended to focus on baseball. But Mr. W.B. Stokely is credited for keeping the football program relevant and on people's minds. So Stokely, that's where the arena names on campus and Stokely Athletic facility and things like that come from that is exactly the man hell yeah and for those two following years it was 1894 to 1896 they were able to do it by forming a team of guys together on an unofficial team not represented by the university to keep the football program going so he just gathered some dudes together to play football but they didn't have like tennessee affiliation they were just dudes playing football yeah when they decided to to cut the football department these guys were like no we're gonna keep doing this hell yeah um, I like that Stokely dude. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so in 1896 was their first official team, which was part of the Southern Intercollegiate Athletic Association, um, which was the first Southern Conference. Yeah, so I imagine that's what was before It's SEC. the precursor to the SEC. Yeah, precursor to the precursor or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then in 1899, their first head coach was J.A. Pierce. 1899. They, but they had a team... 1896 was the first official team. So they went. So 1891 like, was the first team. And then 1896 was the first coach. Five years. Yeah. So they played, a, yeah, without a coach. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just, uh, yeah, their first full five seasons, they were coachless. That's amazing. Then in their, in 1914 was their first championship of any kind, coached by Mr. Z.G. Clevenger. Good old ZG. Uh, football was then suspended twice. That reminds me of ZJ. <laughs> you can't afford it. You can't afford it. Football was suspended twice for the Spanish-American War. Of course, it was in 1898. Of course it was. And for draft reasons, again, in 1917 and 1918 because of, of course, World War One. Fight the Nazis. Yeah, the first time. First time. <laughs> and then in 1921 is officially when what we know now as Shields Watkins Field was officially established in the center of Neyland Stadium, or what would become Neyland Stadium is what we should say there. Yeah, and uh, Neyland Stadium, when it opened, the date you're talking about, 1921, it, it, had, a capa- it had a capacity of 3,200. Yeah. <laughs> so you've got the timeline all the way up to Fulmer, but uh, 1948... It had 46,000 seats. So between 21 and 48, it grew exponentially. That's a big game. 3,000 seats to to 40,000? 40,000 seats. So go back on. Go ahead. Uh, So then in 1926, Robert Nealon, so he was then a captain in the U.S. Army, got uh, made the head coach. Uh, So his main charge was to beat Vanderbilt, who had been dominating UT as of late. Wait, Vanderbilt dominating? I know, right? That's such a weird yeah, thing. Yeah, that of. was really weird for me when I went back and looked at the rivalries thing. Mm-hmm. But that's funny to hear it that it was old school rivalry. Yeah. So then in so like I said, his main charge was to beat Vandy, who had been kicking UT's butt. From nineteen twenty six to nineteen thirty four he posted a record of seventy six wins, seven losses, and five ties. Seventy six five seven and five? Seventy six, seven, 
five. Holy shit. Yeah. With streaks 33, 28, 14, and then undefeated in 1927, 1928, 1929, 1931, and 1932. No so, wonder the stadium's named after this man. Yeah, I know, right? So Bobby Dodd was a long time. Winning streak of 33. That's, that's incredible. Yeah. That was recently broke, by the way. Oh, yeah? Yeah, in the year 2000-somethings. Oh, who was yeah. it? Bama? Um, I don't think Miami ever beat it, but I th- it would have been Alabama or Florida or Ohio State. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. So the quarterback at the time was a Mr. Bobby Dodd. Bobby uh, Dodd, yeah. He's a long, yeah, longtime coach at Georgia Tech, uh, but he was the quarterback during this big, huge streak of being so amazing. So after the 1934 season, Nealon was called to service. Uh, he was stationed down in Panama, but when he came back in 1936... Um, and in 1938 led the Vols on a historic season to win the national championship and the Orange Bowl, outscoring all opponents 283 to 16 that Holy season. Holy shit. 283-16. Yo. And they probably played like nine or ten games, so, you know, you're talking. That's a lot of points. <laughs> 1.6 points a game they're giving up. That's um, awesome. Followed by the 1939 team that held all opponents scoreless for the entire season. Whoa. Read that again? Yeah, let me repeat. I didn't know this. I didn't know this. The 1939 Volunteers played all opponents that season, and not one team scored a single point against them. I like it a lot. That's incredible. Not one point. I would would be willing to bet um, close to my mortgage on the fact that that will never be done again. Unbelievable. That'll never, ever be done again. What season was that, did you say? 39. 39. Wow. Now catch this, though. This is another number that'll shock you. Out of 216 total games that they played, 109 were total shutouts. Wow. Basically 50% 50 of all games played were total. Other team didn't get any points. Just just north of 50%. That is ridiculous no wonder again no wonder the man has a stadium named after him i'm probably gonna say that a couple more times aren't i you're not done talking about neilan i'm not so of course in 1940 ut produced another national championship but after the season neilan went back into military service for of course world war ii yeah Uh, we're talking about the 40s here uh football suspended for its third time in history in 1943 due to the drafts uh, when Neyland comes back in 1946, he's a brigadier general at this point. Yeah, I know him as General Neyland, so there you yeah, go. That's right. Uh, but at that point, he was retired from the service. From 1946 to 1952, they go for 54 wins, 17 losses, and 4 ties. Conference titles in both 46 and 1951, and another two national championships in 1950 and 1951 back-to-back. That's pretty cool. You can tell that the... Probably the, the level of competition in those days was probably starting to ramp up a little bit. Mm-hmm. He had more losses over that shorter amount of time, but still two national championships. Also, how many teams were added to the league in this amount of Correct. time, Correct. That's, that's kind of what I mean, is he was still getting it done, but he was just losing more regular season games, mm-hmm. probably. Uh, but a side note on that 1950 uh, national championship, that was against uh, Alabama's very own Bear Bryant. Roll Tide, buddy. And fun fact about Bear Bryant, with all his mightiness, he never won a single game in Neyland Stadium. No shit. Not one game. Well done. Well done. Not to say that the Tide hasn't done it since. Well, <laughs> Nick Saban is not as 
different than Bear Bryant. I would be willing to argue. Again, not knowing what I know, hearing all that stuff you go through, stuff I looked up, there's a lot, you know, you don't know what you don't know when it comes to the history of things, but I don't I don't think that Bear Bryant's on Nick Saban's level. No. So so then comes a period of 35 to 40 years of touch-and-go success. <laughs> 35 to 40 years. <laughs> 35 to 40 years. Yeah. Uh, I know, right? Can't just can't be consistent forever. But until Johnny Majors comes along, who... Uh, yeah, we know Johnny Majors. Oh, yeah. He coached Pittsburgh to a national championship in 1970, 1976 um, and was able to revive the program's winning ways and brought back national prominence with the 1986 Sugar Bowl from the 1985 season yeah, technically. Bowls were huge at that time, so yeah. Oh yeah. That's prominence for sure. They were Super Bowls. Yeah, they were. You know. They really were. Um but that that victory was over their uh, the heavy favorite at the time, the Miami Hurricanes. Yeah, that's the game. The Miami game, yeah. The famous Sugar Bowl. Mm-hmm. But Majors was mostly successful. Um he resigned amidst recurring heart problems and the offensive coordinator Philip Fulmer takes over as head coach when he resigns. Yeah, and that's kind of where I take up is where Philip, you know, Johnny Majors into Philip Fulmer was a successful tenure for the Vols, especially coming off that period of not having success 35 to 40 years. You know, they had touch and go. It mm-hmm. was up and down. They had a couple years. Like I, Johnny Majors was a player and won the Heisman Trophy, I believe. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that's some success. And they had some other players. They've had Reggie White and they've had uh, – um, Chucky Atkins and some other players like that go to the Hall of Fame uh, that were during those quote unquote down years. You know what right. I mean? So uh, it, it's okay. In steps Philip Fulmer, who was then offensive coordinator. I believe he had some heart problems. And then the Philip Fulmer era begins, 1992 to 2008, and it begins well. He's going 10 and 2 his first season uh, in 93. Uh, then the future and the history books at UT and the NFL, I suppose, were forever changed. In 1994, with the recruitment of one dun, 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 Peyton dun, Manning. Peyton Manning, that's right. Two serious knee injuries to Jerry Col- Colquitt and Todd Helton. Yep, that Todd Helton. That's right, the one that just got recently inducted into the Major I, League Baseball Hall of Fame. I love that about Peyton Manning is that he didn't even he wasn't even the starter. He just got to play because people got hurt. Yeah, and it was up to him and Brandon Stewart. Yeah. and then it was you know and between he was the, like. Let me show you what I got. Two of them, a week later, he was named the starter, and he never looked back until he was drafted the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. Yeah. So um, Peyton would never beat Florida in his career, and he had a Heisman Trophy stolen by the voters and given to Charles Woodson of Michigan. I remember that. So that was one of the great highway robberies of Heisman voting, at least in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. Peyton, I mean, Charles Woodson, again, NFL first ballot Hall of Famer. That was Peyton's Heisman. So, And I wasn't even a Tennessee homer at the time. So looking back, it was the Peyton years is really, really when Tennessee got into the NFL pipeline game. Uh, I'm going to just I'm going to go through some names. OK, but understand this. These are these are people that Vols that went pro. Correct. OK. During the Philip Fulmer era. OK, so his players that went pro. only. OK. OK, so check this out. And this is a stat that I did on my own. So I might be touch or go or off by one or two numbers. But I didn't look this up on ESPN stats and info. Fulmer had one hundred and six players drafted over his 16-year tenure okay 106 wow we've had 23 players drafted since philip former left wow 106 while he was here 23 cents wow that is wow. absolutely 
insane. Yeah, but we went through a nice like six, seven years of being total garbage. So that <laughs> this is true. This is true, and we're hopefully coming out of that because last year we had, I believe, seven players drafted and if we can get seven a year then we'll catch up to fulmer's numbers quickly yeah but yeah we went through the Derek dooley and i'll get to that name yeah. <laughs> you know here soon but how about this peyton manning marcus nash andy mccullough leonard little al wilson peerless price jamal lewis sean ellis Raynock thompson chad clifton Dwayne goodrich cozy coleman Dion grant travis henry big john henderson dante stallworth albert hainsworth will overstreet travis stevens J- jason witten all of the Colquitts that can kick the ball. <laughs> that can kick the ball. Gerard Mayo, Robert Meacham, our boy Eric Ainge, with one of the most epic drives of Tennessee football history, the 2004 game against Florida, which actually, a uh, little-known fact maybe, at least to me, uh, was the record attendance for the University of Tennessee and at Neyland Stadium. That game, 109,061 people. Oh, that was people. before they adjusted the stadium and took some seats out, right? Because you, you can't beat it now. Correct. Well, they were at 104. The max was 104, and they got to 109. I was, I was there, and it was relatively unsafe how many people were up in the upper deck, That's I would the, say. But, but they just start like adding seats. <laughs> yeah. Um, I said Ainge's epic, uh, the game, I mean, that fourth quarter drive that he had late. And then Florida came back, and then he had another fourth-quarter drive to get Will Hoyton range to kick that field goal. It was awesome. Those two guys punch each other on the sideline, and only Florida gets a penalty <laughs> to get us up to the sideline. Anyway, huge, huge success for Fulmer early. National championship in 1998, SEC titles in 97 and 2001. But in 2008, they went 5-7, and seven, and UT bought out his contract for $6 million, which was paid out to him over four years. Uh, then comes Lane Kiffin and the Der- Derek Dooley experiment is what I call it. I was actually here in Tennessee for the back end of Fulmer and then all of Lane Kiffin, all of Derek Dooley. So I've been personally here for all of it. All of the stuff that you read off was literally in the history books for me personally. Mm-hmm. So I have a little bit of a personal, I guess, opinion or remembrance personal of, opinion <laughs> of, of this stuff. And I, I don't want to forget or understate the continued and consistent success that philip fulmer had and i always what my memories of tennessee football are philip fulmer and peyton manning Mm -hmm. and that is something that i don't know that kids these days have any kind of association with anything major with tennessee football and i think that's sad but that number 106 to 23 blew my mind that if that doesn't show player development Mm-hmm. then I don't know what does. It doesn't matter what kind of recruiting classes you get, but it's about development, and that's where these two assholes come what'd in. You, what was the uh, total years that Fulmer, it was 93 to... 92 to 2008. 92 to So the 92-93 season was his first. So 16 years? 16 years. Okay, and how many years has it been? It was until now, so yeah, I mean, wow. The, oh, I, I, I gave him said, credit for Eric Berry and Robert Ayers as well. So we're talking the last nine years. Okay. There's okay. only been 23. Okay. An average of not even three players a year for the past nine years <laughs> versus an average of eight players a year. Wow. So it's that, that just shows what Tennessee was nationally. You talk about Tennessee versus with the big boys these days, you get a, sn- a snicker and a laugh from people on the national stage. Yeah. So... And it's because of these two assholes. These two right here. Yeah. It's because of Lane Kiffin. He started it. On December 1st, 2008, 
Lane Kiffin, like a thief in the night, shows up in Knoxville with his daddy, Ed Orgeron, Jim Chaney, all hugely successful NFL coaches with a coaching combined salary for his assistants of $3.32 million, which was a record for assistant coaches in college football, come in and claim that they're going to beat Florida, beat Alabama, sing Rocky Top all night into the early hours of the morning and some shit like that. Anybody who wanted a beating, Tennessee was going to give them a beating, right? They lost to Florida. They were 30-point underdogs in the Florida game. This is during the Tim Tebow years, mm-hmm. you know, Florida's national championship dominance. Lost to Florida 23-13 to as 30-point underdogs, so a relatively good showing. They lost to Alabama 12-10 to in a game where they had like three field goals blocked mm-hmm. and a field goal at the end of the game blocked by that dude's armpit. Yeah. <laughs> Terrence Cody, Mount yep. Cody, kicked it into his chest. Then I'll never forget the going to the blackout game versus South Carolina on Halloween of the 2009 season. Mm, that was cool. Where they busted out the black jerseys. And when you said earlier that they started wearing the orange jerseys, I think you said 1922. Oh, yeah. I left that and, out. Yeah. They used to wear black. Yeah. And then they switched to orange right when they went to Shields Watkins Field. So a lot of people get up in arms about the tradition of wearing the black uniforms. Well, if you want to be technical about it, we mm-hmm. used to wear black, or at least it's in our options. So, But 13 months after saying that he would be here for a long time, Lane Kiffin accepted what he called a coaching job, uh, his dream coaching job at uh, Southern Cal when Pete Carroll went to the Seahawks. Man, you know, when you're talking about Lane Kiffin, I just... and I just love how much Daniel Tosh on Comedy Central hates Lane Kiffin, and it just... He's done it to himself, man, and all the stuff that most people don't know about him with him partying with co-ed sororities and... And Yeah, that's where he got... Going and being a douchebag. Yeah. Just an absolute douchebag. It just cracks the... Kiffin's corner, or but he's Kiffin. never done anything. He's never been successful anywhere he's been, mm-hmm. as, except for as a coordinator. He was a coordinator for USC. Then he gets promoted to the Oakland Raiders, and then he gets was shitty with the Raiders. Gets fired by them. Comes to us, mm-hmm. and then quits with us, and goes and gets the USC job when he never did anything. Yeah, dude. So when yeah he when he bailed and went to USC, oh, it was game on for K- Kiffin hate. I mean, the Kiffin oh. hate was worldwide at that point. So that was, crazy but the time day. that he left us, man, he quit at like the, literally the worst possible time. He quit on January twelfth, okay, and that's like three weeks before National Signing Day, if mm-hmm. even that, maybe two and a half weeks before National Signing Day. You got to scramble to hold together a recruiting class of a program that's slipping. One thing that Kiffin did actually do really well his first, his only year there was recruit some studs, mm-hmm. five star running back Bryce Brown and some other people. Tyler Bray was actually a Kiffin yeah. recruit, but he also, gosh, who was it that he didn't recruit? Um, Johnny Manziel. <laughs> Kiffin didn't think Johnny Manziel was college material, I believe. Him and Marcus Mariota both. He didn't want, he would rather have Tyler Bray. So anyway, <clears throat> those were Kiffin recruits, and they wanted to hold together this recruiting class. So what do they do? Three days later, they hired Derek Dooley. Dooley. It's orange so, pants. 
they didn't have a whole lot of time and they didn't have a whole lot of candidates to choose from because a lot of coaches had you know coaches that were fired or available for coaching jobs had already been signed by that point Mm -hmm. this was not the open season where people were looking for jobs there were you were gonna have to buy somebody out of a contract which is expensive to steal them from another school or you had to get somebody that hadn't been coaching for a while off the street you know off their couch so so they end up with Derek Dooley I think it was his name that got it son of Vince Dooley former coach at Georgia you know legendary coach with the Bulldogs and that made Dooley UT's third coach in two calendar years when they had Neyland and Majors for a matter of decades. how long? <laughs> decades. And then Fulmer for 16 years. I mean, they went from Majors to Fulmer from 1977 to 2008. 31 years, they had two people. And then they go three people in two years. So think about the, the uproar. That was what I was talking about when I said I experienced it. This is mm-hmm. the Tennessee I know. I know. Is the, the instability and the fan base that reacts to, that hates everything that they do and no coach is good enough because they were used to for 30 years having stability oh yeah and a I coach mean, like, that knew what expectations you were like were. you said what was the phrase you use a, a transplanted or a yeah i'm a transplanted ball fan transplanted ball fan so it was later in life when you came a ball fan absolutely i mean i remember being a kid like rooting for peyton manning and stuff and knowing know? and expecting them to win because exactly because yeah. we kicked ass right and then like when i started to get into like my like middle school and high school years it's like oh man like it really stinks to see your team just lose like half the games of the season when that's not what I grew up on. Well, we had to suffer through three seasons of the Dooley era, mostly because of financial reasons. We weren't making the money with the revenue in football and paying huge buyouts to people. We were already on the hook paying Fulmer. We needed to be didn't need to be paying a buyout to someone like Derek Dooley. His teams went six and seven, five and seven, and five and seven over his three seasons, vastly underperforming. He recruited like a middle school coach and brought in a handful of good people. I mean, don't get me wrong. Some of the offensive linemen that he brought in are playing in the NFL right now. But considering that he contributed to, I think, six or seven people being drafted over his three years, uh, it's not what Tennessee was used to. and It's not what boys come to Tennessee looking right. for an opportunity at the next level. So so that leads us to Butch Jones. Um Brick. It was the embarrassment uh, against Vanderbilt that caused Tennessee to fire Dooley. They lost 41-18 to against Vandy, and UT had to go a different direction. So on December 7th, 2012, they hired Butch Jones. So far in his first three seasons, the Vols have shown improvement every year. Say what you will about Butch, at least he's shown improvement. They went 5-7 and seven in year one, 7-6 in year two, 9-4 last year, total of 21-17. He's got two bowl victories. But this is where he gets the most shit, is only three victories over ranked opponents. He has had very difficult schedules. Mm-hmm. I know his very his first season where they went 5-7, and seven, and then even uh, two years ago where they went 7-6, and six, it was a tough, tough schedules that he played yeah. against. But The SEC in general is a tough schedule for everyone. I mean, there's there's it it is a tough schedule, especially the SEC West when you got to play them. Like it's a it's a tough market. Yeah, I mean, listen to this shit. This is kind of some facts about the stadium. First of all, Neyland Stadium is the fifth largest stadium in the United States. How about that? The sixth largest stadium in the entire world. Yeah, I knew it was up there. The second biggest in the SEC behind Texas A and M. We're one hundred two four fifty five. Texas A and M is one hundred two seven thirty three. Right. We used to be bigger, and we downgraded for those box seats. Yep. Yeah, we had to make more money, yo. That's right. 
Dollar dollar bills, y'all. 104.079 was the biggest Tennessee's ever officially been. Mm -hmm. So, again, second biggest in the SEC. Barely bigger than Alabama and LSU, which both go over 100,000. LSU 102-something, Alabama 101-something. The Vols have won 464 games at Neyland Stadium, the highest home field total for any team that's at its current venue, which is actually pretty neat. They're hmm. all The program's all-time record, 826 wins, 368 losses, and 54 ties. They are eight on the list of programs in wins. So number eight in wins, third on the list in the most bowl games, most bowl appearances. 52 sixth on the list with most bowl wins at 28 they're one of two programs in the country to never have lost more than seven games in a season which i thought was a pretty awesome really tennessee and ohio state are the only two programs in the entire country that have never as a program since inception lost more than seven games in a season Hmm. i mean that's i mean losing seven games that's a bad year nowadays it's five and seven but in the old day it was two and seven or mm-hmm. oh and seven you know so pretty impressive that is impressive i liked that stat a lot for sure and i i couldn't obviously this isn't as deep of a dive we didn't go into a lot of the players this was more kind of the coaches but i couldn't talk about tennessee football and at all if i didn't talk about its rivals right oh yeah the rivalries that that tennessee the main three the real ones the real ones that are built in there now there's a handful of others that have been born since the inception of the sec and the divisions in the sec but the three main rivals that they've had since really the birth of the program and the growth of football was or are alabama florida and Vanderbilt. Yep. <clears throat> now they have Kentucky, a pretty close rivalry with Kentucky and Georgia. Like I said, is one of those that has emerged since the formation of the SEC and the SEC East. SEC was formed in 1992, so that was right when Philip Fulmer started. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> it allowed some coaches coaches to be a little bit more firm with each other. The birth of the Florida and Tennessee rivalry yeah. was part of that with Steve Spurrier at florida and philip fulmer at tennessee spurrier being the loud mouth and fulmer being the you know good old country boy mm-hmm. um gentle giant so to speak so um <clears throat> florida really really got heated with that uh they played each other annually when they went to those divisions i was talking about one cool thing about the fight with florida peyton never beat florida yeah so you said that stat about bear bryant never winning in neyland well peyton never beat florida and it was one thing that steve spurrier and any and all florida fans really love to remind tennessee fans regardless of whatever streaks going on but back and forth in the rivalry they've both enjoyed streaks over each other nothing like the streak that florida started in 2005 and was recently ended in 2016, last year, with the win over Florida by the Vols. That was huge. Finally. <laughs> huge. Finally. I mean, like Donald Trump, huge. Finally. Yes. Not like his hands, <laughs> but definitely huge. And then there's the rivalry with Alabama. I know it as a kid, not growing up in Tennessee, as the third Saturday in October. I thought that was really cool. They gave names to games in the SEC. Yeah. Like the world's out largest outdoor cocktail also, party. Also, back in the day was when we would be beating Alabama frequently. Yeah, and it started really with Bear Bryant and Johnny Majors. They really got it going. Um, both teams... Ex- like I said, same thing with Florida. They enjoyed winning streaks against each other. Alabama is Tennessee's third most played opponent of all time in their schedule of those however many 1,200 games I listed. And uh, Alabama's in the middle of uh, enjoying a pretty nice streak 
over Tennessee. You know, they're uh, probably a solid ten years, fifteen years. It's gross. Whatever it is, <laughs> two thousand eight, I think, is the last time we beat Alabama. Two thousand seven, maybe. Wow. So yeah, about ten years. I don't know. Maybe Ainge was the we last came one. Real close. What was it last year or the year before last? I don't know. I'm tired of coming close. I know, but it was one of those like Butch comes too close, man. And last night was an example. We come real close sometimes with a leprechaun, sometimes without. But you know. <laughs> and then the last rival is Vanderbilt. Played Vanderbilt 108 times. Tennessee is 73 wins, 30 losses, and five ties since 1928. Tennessee is 71, 10, and 2. So Vanderbilt did all of its winning against Tennessee before 1928. So the rivalry against Vanderbilt is not quite a rivalry the last 83 games. It's more of an ass kicking. 71, 10, and 2? Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. Vandy's biggest win versus Tennessee came in 1918. They beat the Vols 76 to 0. And Tennessee's biggest win versus Vandy came in 1994, where they beat the hell out of Vandy 65 to 0. And that's more of a realistic score because of, again, the life and the times of football. And in 1994, it was not the game it was in 1918. Not at all. And then the winning streaks for each team. Vanderbilt has held a streak of nine wins in a row versus Tennessee during, again, those early years, 1918 to 29 or something like that. And then Tennessee, long streak of 22, 22 years in a row that they beat Vanderbilt. 22 years in a row. They beat them from 1983 all the way up into 2004, and I believe it was Jay Cutler's Vanderbilt team in 2004 that beat the Vols Hmm. with his apathetic, I don't give a shit attitude, gunslinger arm. Yeah, and then they beat Dooley, like you said, what was it, 41-18? Yeah, they beat the hell out of Dooley, 41-18. That was the end of him. Yeah, and then I'm pretty sure Butch has lost to Vanderbilt, too, so it is what it is. But we are absolutely amped about football season. I I love this time of year, man. And ever since I moved down here, I gained so much of an appreciation for not just football. I've always appreciated football, but the fall, the weather, companionship with people, tailgating. Whiskey. Gambling, (laughs) you know, um... But then when it comes to football, things like tradition, pageantry, something to look forward to. Um, There's not- definitely something special about going to a UT home game, the power tee on the field, and like the way the team comes out. Like No other team does it like that. No, man, and we've it's talked awesome. about But they have their own things, so it's college football in general. It's just it's something else, and I didn't experience it as a kid, so I'm really, really glad that my parents or parents my i'm really glad that my kids are going to be able to experience it and i'm really glad that you know it brings out the best in people around this area when the team's good mm-hmm. you know working at dick sporting goods i really understood how much people open their wallets up and open their minds up and open their hearts up when the tennessee football team wins right wrong or indifferent that's the way it is around here mm-hmm. football is life and i really hope the best for the team the game last night was encouraging to see them come out in the second half so i hope that this uh history of the vol football program that we gave which obviously was not a huge deep dive but a good 40 minutes of probably some stuff that you never heard before definitely stuff i didn't know it was really cool to see how you know general nealon took absolutely zero shit when he got back from the war and was able to hold teams to zero points for a whole season that's a whole lot of this stuff that was really cool if you guys have any thoughts about it hit us up email us tweet us comment on us we really appreciate you joining Thank you so much, and we're going to catch you on the next one.
Tennessee hills. Ain't no smoggy smoke on Rocky Top. Ain't no telephone bills. Once I had a girl on Rocky Top, half bear, the other half cat. Wild as a mink, but sweet as soda pop. I still dream about that. Rocky Top, you'll always be home sweet home. Rocky Top, Tennessee.